0: see the airport yet I just want to let you know it's it's not circling it's still it's climbing it hasn't even it hasn't even gotten to where it needs to go yet you know when they say you've now reached 35,000 feet we're climbing right now we're still just want to let you know but if you get done before I do I love you and I'm going to come here tomorrow morning again if who knows we might just go all the way through I love him he's amazing he wants us all healed. Yeah. Yeah. He wants us all free. Yeah. He wants us all delivered. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when you prayed that prayer and you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that all came available right then. Yeah. Yeah. Because when it says that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved, that word saved is a Greek word called sozo. And sozo means saved, healed, delivered, protected, made whole, kept safe from harm to do well. Come on. All of that is in that word saved. So when you got saved, you had the ability to be completely delivered right there. When you confessed, you have the ability to be completely free from any addiction right there. When you got saved, you have the ability to be healed of everything that ails your body, physically, mentally, right then. Like God, he's made it available. Sometimes it's not taught that way. It's taught Pray a prayer so that your name can be written. We get somebody saved, we move on to the next one. But there's the saved, then there's the discipling. So when you get somebody saved, if they don't find out what they got saved to, they'll still live in where they got saved from. You can't afford to live in what you got saved from because that's no longer you. But you can get saved and have that true encounter with Jesus and never understand what you got saved to, and all of a sudden your life is just tormented by things that you wished you'd never done. The enemy's number one thing is to remind you of things you wish you'd never done. He wants to produce guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret. Guilt says you're not forgiven. Shame says it's still who you are. Condemnation says you're worthy of judgment. So the enemy wants to make you guilty, ashamed, and condemned. It's the story of most Christians. So when I say I've lived my life free from guilt, shame, and condemnation... People can hardly even believe that, and they think that I'm just saying that, but I've lived that. That's why I'm free from you, because the gospel sets you free from yourself, which keeps you free from others. Then you realize your war is not against flesh and blood because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities, demonic strongholds, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There are familiar spirits that are trying to dominate your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And they torment this so that they can prevent you from freedom. But if you would just get hungry for the truth of the word of God that's alive, sharp, and active sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, from your spirit. The first place the word comes to divide is the way that seems right to a man unto the way that is right to God. So he divides that. He hits this thing first. That's why Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that, you can, so that you can actually approve what is and what is not the will of God. So you actually are people that are supposed to be so transformed that you know the will of God in every situation. People handle the will of God like a hot potato because they allow what they prayed for to move that didn't move to determine the will of God. So we allow our experience, apart from the truth of God's word, to determine the word of God, and we lower God's word down to our experience. I prayed for somebody, and they lived. I prayed for the next one, and they died. Obviously, if I prayed for this one, and they lived, it was the will of God. But I prayed the same for another person, and they died. So it must have been the will of God for them to die. Tell me one person that Jesus prayed for that didn't get healed. Tell me one person that Jesus prayed for that didn't get healed. Tell me one person that came to Jesus for healing that walked away without it. Tell me one person that Jesus prayed for them to raise from the dead that stayed dead. Didn't happen. So we have to see the power of righteousness. We have to see the power of the cross. We have to understand one thing that causes great confusion in the body of Christ, and I'll probably hit it tomorrow, that Jesus didn't do what he did as God himself. Jesus did what he did as the son of man filled with God. Jesus was fully the son of God and the son of man, but he had to lay his definitive rights, the right to be God, aside in order for him to pay the price on humanity's end as our substitute to bring us back into righteousness, right standing with God. So Jesus was always fully God. He never stopped being God ever. He he didn't. If Jesus wasn't the son of God, we're all done. He was fully the son of God, but he humbled himself as a bondservant, was tempted at all points. Can God be tempted? No, no, no. Can God be tempted? Very, very specific. Can you tempt God? No, you cannot. Nor can God tempt. That scripture alone validates that Jesus was tempted at all points. You can't tempt God. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. If Jesus was doing it as God, he wouldn't need anointed. This causes great confusion in the body of Christ because we've never heard this. and This is strange teaching. No, no, no. I'm defining Philippians 3, Philippians 2. Philippians. Like read the whole book. It's all amazing. But Jesus, humbled himself, became a bondservant, was tempted at all points, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted. You can't tempt God. So what you have to understand is that God made this covenant between God and man. And that covenant was given to Moses. Are you with me? Moses was given the Ten Commandments from God. God said, if you diligently, it's in Deuteronomy, if you diligently obey all of these commandments without going to the left or to the right, it will be accounted to you righteousness. Righteousness. So he said, if you obey, if you obey, if you obey all these commandments, there's 10 commandments. And then they added 613 laws. So you got 613 laws and 10 commandments. James 2.10 says that if you miss one law, you've transgressed all of them. So no matter how perfect you want to live your life, if you miss one, your whole life's awash. So all that good work that you did is out the window because no one's perfect. So Jesus comes. As the son of God, but he humbles himself, becomes a bondservant, and lives his life here as the son of man. Oh, you got to see this. this. He was born of the Virgin Mary, right? So Mary never got pregnant by a man. Mary got pregnant by God. No woman on earth ever got pregnant by God. That's intense. Imagine her life. Explaining her life away. Like, I'm promised Joseph. I mean, it took God to show up to Joseph to tell him. But think with me. So why, why did Jesus have to be born of the Virgin Mary? Because he had to live as a man when he was here. So fully God, fully man, but he had to lay his divinity aside. Why? Because the covenant, see, God's all about covenant. God made a covenant between man and himself. And he said, if you obey, righteousness will be there, we'll be one. But man couldn't do it. So God, God Jesus through Mary so that Jesus could walk out what we could never walk out. Yeah. Oh man. This is so good. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus grows up and walks as a man and he never did any miracles at all until after something happened. That's right. The Holy Spirit comes down on the day when he comes down to the River Jordan. Holy Spirit comes down, rests upon Jesus and remains. And God infused, incarnated Jesus covered him and filled him with the Holy Ghost. Do you remember that day when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What happened to the heavens on the day that Jesus was baptized? They were open, not just open. The Bible says that the heavens were torn. There was a separation from God for 400 years. No one had even heard God's voice in 400 years. John the Baptist is the first one even declaring that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. I'm preparing. Make a straight path for the Lord to travel. Come on. John the Baptist, right? Dreadlocks, locust honey, wilderness. Did you see the Bible series? Did you see it? He had dreads. You watch that series, I'm telling you. That's not why I have him, but it's true. He did have dreads in the thing. I was like, yeah, they got it. Y'all be freaked out if you got to heaven and seen Jesus with dreads. All of you be like, oh, my God. I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what he looks like, but he ain't going to look like some pretty white guy. We got the pictures a little wrong. Come on, he was Jewish. He would have been dark-complected. And the Bible says that there was nothing comely about him. There was nothing attractive about him, so I got that covered. That's what he said. The Bible says there was nothing attractive about him to draw anybody to him. So there's pretty pictures of this Jesus with, like Jesus of Nazareth movie. Did you ever watch it? The bright blue-eyed Jesus. like, Like, whoa, it's awesome. I love it, but that ain't looking like Jesus. You know what I mean? Man. Oh, I just love the gospel. So I live in it. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. Like all day long, every day, I'm in the Word. Doesn't matter where I'm at. If I'm working out, I'm in the Word. If I'm if I'm riding a bike, I'm in the Word. If I'm in the airplane, I'm reading the Word. I'm in it all day long. Why? Because it's life to me. Because there's life in there. There's no life in the world. The more you got the world in me in you, the more dead is in you. Life life doesn't give you stuff. Life can give you joy sometimes, but only salvation can keep your joy all the time. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus comes down to the river Jordan. He gets baptized. The heavens, it says, were rent. They were torn. Holy Ghost comes upon Jesus. Jesus is then, is then led by the Spirit. He's not led by the devil. Right, right. Now watch this. How many people complain of the wilderness that they're in? Now watch. Jesus is led by the Spirit into where? Into glory land? No. No, no, no. He gets baptized in the Holy Ghost and he gets led by the Spirit into the... Wow, and then no food. Which is a detriment to the body of Christ. (laughs) Come on. First temptation that comes, the devil comes. Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. The Spirit led him out there. Do you know there's two wildernesses? There's the wilderness that the Israelites went into that would have taken a few days to get through. But the wilderness they went into... They loathed the worthless bread And that bread was actually Christ wow. That manna was actually Jesus yeah. The manna They said, what is it? Because they didn't know But revelation has been revealed That bread that came down was Jesus And they loathed Jesus wow. That rock that followed them around in the wilderness Imagine a rock falling around feet, Like giving millions Of Hebrews water Like, did you see that? I saw it yesterday <laughs> 40 years, 40 years of a rock following you. It says that rock was Christ. So you're talking about living water, living bread. Uh, It's crazy. So the wilderness that the Israelites went into, they went in there selfish. But the wilderness that Christ went into, he went in selfless. Selfish keeps you there. You die there. Selfless, you come out with the Holy Ghost and power. And a crisper awareness of the anointing. <laughs> That's really good. Some people are like, man, pray for me, brother. I'm in the wilderness. Well, which one? Are you praying to get out of a wilderness that you put yourself in there through speaking Egyptian? Gossip, complaining, and criticism will keep you in that wilderness and you never get out. You never get out except you repent and get free. You find that the wilderness you're in, you could be really free if you just repent. Stop talking about people. Stop getting hurt by people. Stop saying, well, they did this. They should, well, they shouldn't. Well, I can't believe. No, but There's one thing to communicate what the issue is. It's another thing to be in bitterness and unforgiveness towards that. Because wow. that right there breeds heartache, breeds depression. It breeds a root of bitterness that rises up inside of you that you can't get free from until you repent. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness, but the first temptation he gets hit with is what? If you really are who? If you're really the son of God, then change these stones into bread. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. I want to draw your attention to that word, because what did Jesus just hear before he went into the wilderness? This is my beloved son. (laughs) That is a rhema, God-spoken word. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus went out into the wilderness, and the word that God spoke was, you are my beloved son in whom I'm, in whom I'm well pleased. The devil says, if you really are, then change these stones into bread. Nah, I live by what God said. Oh, my gosh. It's so, it'll keep, it'll, you'll live. He brings these temptations. He he. He tells Jesus to throw himself down off of this thing. I mean, he's bringing the temptations. But the one temptation, I want to draw your attention to uh, the other one. That's really, I mean, all of it is. Because Satan twisted the word and said, throw yourself down off of here. Because it's written that God would catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know, and Jesus isn't falling for any of it. But the one temptation he says to Jesus, he takes him up to a high place. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all of these kingdoms in their glory. I can give them to whoever I wish because they have been delivered unto me. How did he get them? Adam in the garden. So he's offering Jesus a bow out, a tap out. If you just tap out. And here's the tap out. If you just bow down to worship me, I will give you what you came for. But Jesus didn't come to bow. He came to die. So the devil finished his temptation. Jesus came out of the wilderness in the Holy Ghost and power and it was on now watch this God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good healing all so then Jesus's ministry began as a man in perfect relationship with God fully God but chose not to utilize divinitive rights but was baptized with the same Holy Spirit that is available for every Christian to have to walk in the same power that Jesus walked in because I'm to follow him It's so good, so good. But when Jesus went to the tree, after all the miracles that he did, when he went to the tree, the enemy thought he won, because by killing Jesus, he ends the reign of tyranny that, that Jesus was waging war on hell with. Everybody was getting healed. I mean, multitudes are getting fed a couple of loaves and, and, and fish and fish. Man, people are freaking out following Jesus all over. And the head honchos for the devil are the Pharisees. The head honchos, the Pharisees, they're the guys that think they know it all. They're very religious. They're stuck in the law. Jesus is paying a price for these guys to be free. And man, they are scorning Jesus, whipping Jesus, like looking at Jesus. Bring yourself down off of there. He couldn't bring himself down off of there. Why? Because love kept him there. Yeah. Yeah. Love kept him there. And Jesus says these words. The last words Jesus says is, it is finished. Amen. And he gave up the ghost. Yeah. The enemy thought he won. Yes, victory. And I've read, I've read my Bible over and over and over. And I believe that, that, that Jesus descended into the deep. And the enemy thought he won. And so for three days, he thinks he's got him. He's like, we won. Yeah, torment. Ah, ah." But three days later, three days later, light lit up darkness. The enemy that thought he won. See, the Holy Ghost didn't say, Gabriel, get my front. Come on, Michael, get my back. I'm going in. He didn't say that at all. He had the keys to hell, death, and the grave. And he was about to hand them to Jesus. And on that day, he said, come on, here's the keys. Let's get out of here. And Jesus on that day led captivity captive. But on the way, they stopped the glory train of captivity, being held captive. They're now not captive, coming with Jesus. Jesus stops at the tomb along the way who goes there. Now, Jesus has been in the tomb for three days, right? He stops at the tomb, and he has something to do. See, he needs to talk to somebody. And I love it that he talked to a woman. It's amazing, man. I mean, he could have talked to a man, but he chose a woman right here. And I believe it's because of what happened with Adam and Eve. It's because of what Eve, what happened with Eve, that, that Jesus was restoring women to their rightful place, talking to them first. I just, I love it with all my heart. I just, I love the gospel, man. It's so beautiful. And, and Mary is at the tomb. It's crazy because she's there weeping. Like, she, I, I was wondering, like, who was going to roll the stone because these girls, they're all coming with stuff to anoint the body. That stone ain't no joke. It's a heavy stone. So they get there, who's going to roll the stone away for us? And it's rolled away. And Mary is there, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And she hears a voice. Like first she sees somebody and she can't recognize who it is. And she says, where did you put him? Where did they put the body? Please just tell me where they put the body. And she hears the voice and he says, Mary. (laughs) And Mary immediately knows the voice. That's the voice that set her free. That's the voice that kicked out demons. That's the voice that set her free. That's the voice that had her walk in freedom for these years. That's that voice. She says, Rabboni, teacher, master. He says, don't cling to me. Don't hold me now. I have something I need to do. Don't cling to me. But go and tell the disciples that I'm ascending to my God and your God, to my Father so Mary whew, cruises back. Come on. She gets them. It's Peter and John. They're like, what? No. Yes. Boom. They go. They go. John's faster. He gets there quicker. Peter doesn't care. He runs right in the tomb. John's like, wow. I, 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 I. Peter's like, boom. Oh, my God. They see the linen that was on his head folded as a folded napkin, which means the master's coming back. Oh, it's so, so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. It says they saw and believed. Yeah. Man, come on. So, so they go back. The disciples, they have this encounter. You know, It's in John 20. They, they're all hiding because of this fear of the Jews. It's, it, it's, it's havoc. I mean, they destroy Jesus. They're thinking they're coming for all of us. They're coming for all of us. Something needs to happen. And Jesus shows up inside the room. I love the gospel with all my heart, with everything in me. I believe everything in there. It's so beautiful. It set me free. Like, you understand, like, like nobody tried to reach out for me. 34 years of my life, no one shared the gospel with me. No one shared God loved me. No one had the time to say, hey, God has a plan for you. Nobody saw somebody sitting behind and said, hey, man, God's got you. Nobody, because everybody's about their own thing, trying to survive, trying to get through the trials of life, trying to wonder how this thing's going to end. And then they, they see that so the devil doesn't stop pounding you. He keeps hitting you and pounding you. And as soon as you think you got breakthrough, you're getting up on the ladder. You get right back down again. Why? Because he doesn't want you to succeed. Why? Because he wants you to focus on your journey in life and your success in life instead of the freedom from the finished work of the gospel. So he's got us trapped in this place of trying to go after life and and the white picket fence and the American dream, which is really the American nightmare. And we're trying to do this. It says a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But that inheritance isn't money, that inheritance is righteousness. Now, you understand a generational curse continues up to a thousand gener- or up to the third and fourth generation. But with the blood of Jesus, no generational curse can come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you step into righteousness, this will continue to a thousand generations. And if the next generation steps into righteousness, it continues to a thousand generations. And if a hundred generations steps into this, it, considers to a, it continues to a thousand generations. It never ends. But that word righteousness is under great attack. It is great attack. When you start to preach it, when you start to see what it is, all hell comes against you. It says, blessed are those, come on, that hunger hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled blessed are those that hunger when's the last time you hungered for righteousness seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness when's the last time you hungered for right you can't hunger for something you don't know what it is hungering for right standing with god hungering that i can have boldness to approach the throne of grace in time of need and nothing can separate me from me from him Nothing can stand in the way of him and I. I have a relationship that no man, woman, or child, no devil in hell can separate me from being in love with him being loved by him. That builds my confidence because I don't care what demon I'm up against. One person in Christ is the majority, period. I don't care how many demons. I don't care if it's a covenant of witches. You got nothing on my king. Nothing. Nothing. You can't curse me because I've been blessed by God. You can go ahead and spout your curses on me, but every one of those curses fall off because I'm blessed. People are afraid to even talk this way. They say, oh my gosh, you're opening yourself up. That's fear. Yeah. That's fear that's been cultivated in your own soul by the enemy of God telling you, you better be careful, brother. You better be careful, brother, because you know, different levels, different devils. What, what are we talking about? In the, in the, army, in the army on the earth, Who has more protection, a general or a private? Why? That's right. So why would you think that God's army is less? It keeps people from wanting to grow in God. Different levels, different devils. Well, I'm just going to back off, live a mediocre life. You're going to be pounded and make no difference in the world. And when you get to heaven, you're going to realize you had a million chances and took advantage of not one because the devil made you afraid. It kept you bound in fear. Come on! It says on that day we're going to see the devil. And we're going to say, "That's it." In the garden, he was a snake, and in the book of Revelation, he's some seven-headed dragon. Why? We made him that way by believing him. I'm not believing him. He's done. He's finished. I ain't playing with this thing, man. I will preach the gospel with every ounce of energy in my life. It never grows old. I'm more empowered than when I walked up on that stage right now because the gospel is invigorating. He's God, man. And when I get to go and preach, he shows up and does what he does. I didn't plan anything tonight. I just went in my secret place for about an hour and 45 minutes today. After this morning, I spent hours because I had delay, airplane, all that fun stuff. It was amazing. But I got to spend the whole time with Jesus. I redeem the time. There is no inconveniences for me. If I'm in traffic, I'm going to seek the Lord the whole time. I might just pray in tongues for three hours. People are like, three hours? My gosh, why? Because my spirit is communing with God. I'm actually enlarging my spirit capacity. When you pray in tongues, you, and you edify your spirit. People are like, well, I don't believe in it. That's because you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. like, why I just don't like the gibberish. Well, that's because you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, and you're thinking with your carnal mind. People are like, well, I I don't believe that. Well, that's because you're in unbelief. What do you want me to tell you? You're in unbelief, you're thinking carnally, and you're a skeptic, and God didn't create you that way. You're picking up the first fruit from Adam instead of the last Adam, Jesus. And you're living by the carnality of your mind, and you're living by the way that seems right to a man, because it makes you feel uncomfortable. You know what? We wouldn't have the comforter if God didn't think you were supposed to be uncomfortable with this thing. Why else would he be called the comforter? Because God knows, oh man, they're going to need him for this. We have been fully dependent upon the world to get our our things done. Instead of fully dependent upon God. Like we need to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It's trusting in him. Man, we all get pounded. We all got life. We all got stuff that's going on, but we got to trust in him. We got to see him. We got to see Jesus. We got to see him. We got to know what he did. What did he do? Did he pay a price to get get you to heaven, or did he pay a price to get heaven into you? Did he pay a price for you to get possessed by heaven? To get, like, to have the world dethroned from you. See, there are some things that are going to sit on the theater in the the throne of your soul. If Jesus isn't seated here, the world is. Satan's job is to dethrone Jesus from your soul so that you can be a carnal Christian, Mm -hmm. a baby Christian, not even drinking spiritual milk. Because if you can't drink spiritual milk of the word, you can't move to the solid meat of the word. really big (sighs) Hebrews 5 talks about it. it says you've come to need milk I should just read it to you it's really good and I've been preaching a lot and didn't take you anywhere sorry oh I'll preach the word I promise I just didn't take you there everywhere you have to go back and Research it and find the 47 scriptures that are in there. I promise. Oh, my, 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 my talk is, is seasoned with the word. Uh, if you're a pastor, if you're in your Bible, you'll know. Because I ain't playing with this. My opinion to you don't matter. Like what I think, apart from what he says, doesn't matter. Your opinion, apart from him, doesn't matter. That your counsel, apart from godly wisdom, doesn't matter. You're counseling people with worldly wisdom. And you're leading them into a trap. Yeah. Psychology is the study of fallen man. If you try to apply the study of fallen man to a fallen man problem, you get just a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It says in Hebrews four, twelve. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Hebrews, I'm sorry. I already said that to you several times probably. Oh, no, I was right. I say I looked up. It's Hebrews 5, 12, sorry. For, for by now, you should be teachers. But you need someone to teach you, again, the very first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk rather than solid food. That's a scary thing because it doesn't give the time frame on when they should be a teacher. It says by now, you should be a teacher, but you need milk instead of solid food. It says... Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of right. This is a big, big deal. Righteousness is your ability to stand right with God and have the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father. Yeah. You have the ability to stand in the place. And actually, it goes deeper than that, but let me just share this. To be able to stand in the throne room to boldly approach the throne of grace and to receive grace in time of need. And when's the last time you didn't need Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I can actually live inside the throne room. And if you see what Ephesians 2.6 does, Ephesians 2.6 says that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. So my life that's positioned here, growing here, as my mind gets renewed. I will actually see things from heaven's perspective because I am actually seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. So hard for people to get there. So I, I, I don't know if we're ready for that one, but I'm there. Why? I'm in him. So every time God, if I'm seated in Christ, when God sees me, who does he see? No, wait, wait, wait. You got to see this. If God sees me and I'm seated in Christ, when I get born again, the Bible says that I become seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says to set my mind on things above in, in Colossians 3 and not beneath. The Bible says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The Bible says to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what God's will is. The Bible says that I am in him and he is in me. So when God sees me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see my faults, my failures, my shortcomings. But he needs me to see what he sees me to be. The whole goal is getting you to see who God says you are so you can stop living by what the world says you aren't. It says, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are mature for those who through practice have, have powers to discern between both good and evil. So when you get saved, you know that drugs are bad. Like when you get saved, you know that drugs are wrong. Alcohol is wrong. You know that porn is wrong. Like that stuff just like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden. And then there is this training in right standing where God starts to show you all these things that don't belong in your life and he starts to wean and clip things off of you that were normal for you that aren't normal for him then you start to grow in intimacy you start to spend time with God and you realize how loved you are by the father there's a difference between you knowing that God loves you and you knowing that you're being actively loved by God (laughs) because when you're loved by God it's over for the enemy So the enemy wants to do everything he can to interfere with God's love for you in any way he possibly can. Because if he can touch that, he's got you cornered. Because then you think that God's not pleased with you and you have to do something to please God. But the only way to please God is by faith. It's really good. So if we start to see who he's created us to be, we'll never live by what the world says we're not. Okay, now I can share my testimony. You guys good? Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll go. If you're going to be here tomorrow, we'll go after this thing some more. I just preach a gospel like it never ends. The message just keeps going. Because it's, that book is thick. Right? But it's all about the same thing. The whole Old Testament is what you had to do to be right. The whole New Testament is what he did to make you right. The whole Old Testament is what I had to do to be. The whole New Testament is what he did to make me be so that my doing comes out of my being. Yeah. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, think of it this way. Like, this is what I love. Someone taught me this in the beginning. A guy named Dan Moeller, if anybody knows him. He's like my, my spiritual dad. So I ran with him for, I still run with him. He's like my best friend in the world. So, so what Dan told me, he said, like, if you, had a, if you had an uncle that passed away and your uncle was like a billionaire, And your uncle gave you part of that inheritance. Let's say there are two people that are inheriting that. Well, that's, if you figure that out, that's 500 million apiece. That's pretty amazing. So unless you go to the reading of that will, you never receive the 500 million dollars. He said, are you going to show up at the will reading? I'm like, yeah. Right? So the New Testament is the last will and testament. So Jesus paid a price to give you an inheritance. Mm -hmm. But if you don't connect to the reader of the will, which is the Holy Ghost, you never realize what rightfully has belonged to you since you got born again. Mm -hmm. So the whole New Testament is what belongs to you. Because someone else died to pay a price to give you something that you could never earn. And you received it through inheritance. Oh, it's really good because it's way more than $500 Because that money, all that money in the world can't buy you freedom. It just buys you more problems. Because if you inherited $500 million and didn't understand how to steward that, money becomes your master instead of your servant, and you're done. But if money becomes your servant, see, money makes a great servant but a terrible master. It's so good. Money should never rule a person's life. Ever. You should utilize kingdom finances to further the kingdom All right, so at 11 years old my parents got divorced. I'll be real quick. It won't be long We're gonna pray. Okay, you guys all right still good with me. I don't know how long I've been up here, but All right, it's it's 830. You guys good. Oh my gosh, that's like That's a long time I mean, I'm I'm like the energizer bunny when it comes to the gospel I, I'm telling you, like, it, it's amazing. And it baffles me because I'm going in to do nine meetings and they're going to be two hours a shot and I have no idea what I'm going to say. You better be living by faith, buddy. And I do because he always shows up. He's God. He delivers. He saves. He heals. He's amazing. So so the last time I shared this testimony and, and pastor was there, um, it was at Rama Bible College in 2013. I did the Men's Call to Arms Conference. It was the strangest thing that I got invited, but they let me in. They did. It was strange. Nobody knew who I was. Like, who's this guy? Dreadlocks on the, on the marquee out front. Like, what is going on? And I went in there and I shared my heart. I shared my testimony. I know I did that. I shared a lot of other things. But I shared my testimony. And the reality of this is that God wants to transform people's lives. He wants you to, he wants you to encounter God. All right, so 11 years old, my parents get divorced. I lose it because when my dad left, I freaked out. I mean, he's my dad. I never saw my mom and my dad fight, not one time growing up. So this came out of nowhere. My mom just said, I don't love your father anymore. My dad walked out. I lost it. And when he left, I freaked worse than anybody you'd ever seen. I mean, maybe you had that happen in your life, but I lost it. My mom had to get three jobs. She ended up working at these different places. My, mad, my dad was a Vietnam vet. He was really messed up from the war. You know, I was, I was born in 69. I'm 53. I'll be 54 on Christmas. So my dad, my mom, this is a while ago, you know. So all of a sudden, I'm just exploding. My mom has a guy at work that she works for that is amazing. He's, a, he's, a, he's a way up in the Masonic organization. He said, I have a place that will take care of your son. So they ended up putting me in the Masonic home. So I was raised by the Masons. So I grew up in this Masonic home for about five and a half years. I was very angry. I started drugs at the, about the end of 11. By 12 years old, I'm fully addicted to anything and everything I'd get my hands on. I was petrified of needles, so I never touched them, but I did everything else. If I could snort it, smoke it, or drink it, it was mine. I did it all. So by 12, I'm fully addicted. Now, five and a half years later, I get kicked out of this home. I come back to my house. My mom's remarried, have another stepdad. I couldn't stand him. We got in a fight. She said it's either, he said it's either me or him. Of course, she chose him because, I mean, he's her new husband. So I I left the house. I ended up going to live with my dad up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, just messing up constantly. Ended up, like, couldn't really make anything in my life. And it was only a short period of time. So I joined the Marine Corps on a dare. So they said, you could never be, actually, my stepdad said you could never be a real man because real men are Marines. So I said, I'll prove to you that I'm a real man. So I went into boot camp, got drug free for like 13 weeks. <laughs> I lost like 76 pounds in 13 weeks, became this like machine, marine poor guy. Ended up graduating like I, I graduated like at the top of, of first, I was, I was, I was pretty PT fit. So I was like this champion, they couldn't break anymore. So I graduated, everybody's like, oh my gosh, everything's changed. I'm so proud of you, son, my mom said. Yes, ma'am, no, no, ma'am, no, sir. I'm like, all, I'm, I'm brainwashed with the wrong substance. Not that the Marines are bad, but the blood of Jesus is what needs to wash this thing. Right. So I have no idea about God. No one's telling me about God. I come out on leave. I come home. I go back to base, and the guys drink. The Marines, they party, like, a lot. They drink a lot. So I started drinking. Started drug addiction again, so I'm fully hooked in a very short period of time. So two and a half months after I get back on base, I'm hooked, and I go AWOL. I ran away. It's called unauthorized absence, UA. I went out to Colorado. I got arrested. I got put in jail, Frisco County Jail, right here in Colorado. (laughs) Amazing. Right up there. Anyway, put me in jail. Two weeks later, I'm extradited. The bounty hunters come out. I'm extradited across the U.S. back to military prison. So I'm down in the brig down at Camp Lejeune. I spent about five and a half months in the brig. They slapped me on the wrist, gave me like this. Dropped from Lance Corporal to private because I, I, I enlisted with Lance Corporal upon graduation of boot camp. So I lost that, lost pay, court martial restricted to base, like all kinds of stuff. So I ain't doing this. So I went AWOL again after I got out. I say AWOL, it's easy for people to understand. It's called unauthorized absence. So I left. I came back out to Colorado again. This is the redemption state for me, actually. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I went out there and I hid out there in Silverthorne. So I went and got a job at, in Silverthorne in a place called Wilderness, which is like these estates that are out there that I just, they gave me the keys to all these homes that I could go in and make sure no pipes burst, and I was shoveling snow, and I got free skiing to Summit County. I was living the dream, and that dream ended about a year later when I got arrested again. I got put five cops with nine millimeters on the ground, Frisco County Jail, here I come again, ended up extraditing me a second time. I went way back to the Marine Corps base down there at Camp Lejeune, put me in the brig, I got about six months in the brig. They gave me a back conduct discharge, a big chicken dinner, they call it. I get kicked out. I come home. I'm hurting and destroying stuff. I'm just destructive. I get a felony. Then I get a misdemeanor. Then I get another felony. Then I get another felony. Then I get a misdemeanor. Then I get another misdemeanor. Then I'm about to get another felony and, like, didn't get busted. It was amazing. So, But I'm jacking up stuff. Then I meet this girl on a blind date in a bar and trick her into thinking I'm Mr. Amazing. I did. Tricked her into it. I was a salesman back then. Like that I could sell everything but drugs because I used everything I got. So I tricked this girl into thinking I missed her amazing, and we moved in together, you know, at her mom's house, and, and I have a family of atheists. She's got a family of atheists. I've got one Christian in my in my history, and his name's Oliver Cromwell. As my great 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 uncle. He caused a lot of havoc over there in in England. Just a little anyway. We were talking about it earlier, but, I, but no other Christians. I don't come from a Christian family. I'm like, I come from a line of atheists and unbelievers. and if there's anything in there, there's just Christmas and Easter only, you know, CEO Christians. <laughs> so I have no grid for who God is, none of that stuff, and no one's telling me. I'm moving with this girl. We're living under moms, and like, I, I'm using drugs, but she's not seeing the entirety, and she has no idea about the military. She has no idea about felonies. She doesn't know anything. So, man, we're together for about a year and a half, and she delivers our baby. Our baby was born, and when my child was born, I immediately heard these voices, kill yourself, take your life. You'll never be a father. You'll never be worthy of being a dad. You'll never be a dad. You're a deadbeat dad. You can't hold the job. What are you going to do? I heard these voices constantly. So I went to the doctors, so I'm bipolar. Got all these voices coming. So get some meds for that. Go back because the meds aren't helping. So drugs, I got lots of drugs and stuff they're doing. Alcohol every day. I'm like going after this. So now borderline schizophrenia. Okay, what do I do? Manic depressive. I've got the labels. I've got all that stuff. This is why I'm telling you about depression because that's where I was. So all of a sudden, this thing's getting out of control. So now my girlfriend tells me that she's leaving me. So now I tell her that I'm killing myself, and it was really real. And I really was going to put a gun in my mouth and end my life. I would have to get a gun from somebody else because of my felonies. I'm definitely not holding a gun in my house. I ain't playing with that. So I ended up up just same path, same destruction. And then just a little while later, she tells me she's leaving me. She's going to find a man to take care of her. And immediately I thought in my life, This is going to be the plan. I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill her, and I'm killing myself. And that's how we're going to end this. And I'm going to leave our daughter with nobody. And I contemplated that thought for seven years. So my my girlfriend lived with that for seven years. She didn't let her mom know all this stuff. And she was way more concerned about me taking my life. But out of fear, she didn't go with anybody else because I would have done it. I was a time bomb waiting to happen. I was an animal. I was angry, I was bitter, I was a fighter. I got into brawls constantly. If you looked at my girl wrong, we're fighting. Like if you looked at me wrong, we're fighting. Like you're disrespecting me. I had that total attitude and had no understanding and I had no understanding of how to read. So I never read a book before in my whole life that went the whole way through school without knowing how to read. Anybody can skim and find the answers. But I literally couldn't read. And I had ADHD. I had dyslexia. I I had a lifetime subscription to issues, man. I did. So I'm entrapped, And not one person's ever telling me about God. Not one. No one ever witnessed to me. No one ever told me that Jesus had a plan for me. No one told me that I see this in your life. No one prophesied over me. No one had a word of knowledge. No one dared to even tell me that Jesus loved me. So 34 years of my life, I lived in the United States, and nobody came across my path to even witness to me. But I was a scary guy. I mean, I was a scary guy. I was a dangerous guy. So I understand, like, man, stay away from that guy. That was me. I was like Linus from the Peanuts, like Black Cloud everywhere I went. I was. And so it was really whack. So one day I come home, and I see a note from my daughter. Mommy left. She's never coming home. I'm at Grandma's house. Mommy hates you, Daddy. She's never coming home. So that's it. So I drive to her stepdad's house because I'm going to get a gun in his gun cabinet. I'm going to put the gun in my mouth and end my life. So like this is a crazy time of my life. And it was real. So I went to the gun cabinet to get a gun. And on the way to the gun cabinet, I passed by a phone book on the mantle on the hallway going down. Flipped the phone book open and it opens to churches. Now, I am not, let me see where, CH, church. It wasn't that at all. It was like a divine flip of that notebook. Of that phone of that book. Now, before you guys understand this, I had a band. I was the singer in a band. I was the front guy. And I had sang in this band for four years. And these guys were like my best friends, right? So like that's the only thing I have going for me. But I'm, I'm going at singing at bars. We have all originals. We're planning on getting signed. And I would move the bar, fights, all kinds of craziness, that kind of life. But that was what I was going to do. I was going to be a singer in a band. It was the one thing I had going for me. So that night, I ended up up making this check at one of these 586 churches in this phone book. And I went to this church, and I met this guy named Dan Moeller. When I went to the door, this happy guy answered the door, and I said, what's wrong with you? He said, it's not what's wrong. It's what's been made right. I said, what? I need to talk to somebody. He said, come on in, buddy. And I'm like, I'm not your buddy. He was full of joy. And I couldn't even look in his eyes the right. It was just weird for me I knew that something there was different than what I'd seen before but I went upstairs in the sanctuary which I didn't even understand what a sanctuary was and I'm like and I threw up all my stuff on him all the stuff that I've ever done you know and I'm like why am I doing this you're not even listening to me he said oh I'm listening to you but what you're telling me isn't helping you I go what are you talking about he said let me tell you about Jesus I I didn't come here to hear about Jesus he goes this is a church But for me, as an atheist, Jesus wasn't in a church. Hypocrites were. That's what I thought. And so all of a sudden, this guy starts to tell me his testimony. This Dan guy tells me his testimony, what he was. And when I looked at him, I said, there's no way that's you. He said, it's not. That guy died. I go, what? What? It was just totally weird. And he said, you know what? You just told me how you want to kill yourself. I said, absolutely, man. I've wanted to do it for a long time. He said, why don't you give your life to somebody that wants it? And here's what I couldn't understand. Why would anybody want what I brought? Why would anybody anybody in their right mind want all the destruction that was in my life? I threatened to kill my girlfriend. I'm suicidal. I beat up. Who knows how many people? People were dead because of the drug deals I was in. I mean, I was in a mess. I was extradited twice across the U.S. Orange jumpsuit, in and out of the brig, in and out of jail. Felonies, $14,000 in court costs to pay back. Why would someone want that? And he shared the gospel with me. And to get out of there, I said, whatever. If he wants my life, he can have it. There, I did it. And I'm angry. And he said, Amen. <laughs> Ah, frustrated. So as I was leaving, he said, take my number. I want you to call me. I said, I don't need your number. I'm good. He said, take it. You're going to need it. I said, I don't need your number. I'm good. Dan goes, please just take it. So I put it in my pocket. I went home. I went home, and I called my daughter at grandma's house. And I said, hey, baby. She goes, daddy, mommy's number coming home. I said, you need to tell mommy that daddy found God. She said, what's he like, dad? She's seven and a half, little kid. I wasn't, I was, any, any man can be a sperm donor. But only knowing God can make you a father. That's right. Yes, I said it. Tell your kids because they're going to learn from the world anyway. Yep. Any man can be that, but not every man can be a father. You need to know the father to be a father. So I never knew what it meant to be a father. I was a dad, but Father? I don't know. That's why when you hear God's a father, it frustrates people because we've grown up with somebody that was not a good father. So when you are a father, you're like, "Ah, God's not a man. He's God. But he's our father. So I went. My daughter, I said, you kick and scream. You do whatever you got to do to get mommy to come home. Daddy's waiting. She goes, okay, dad. But if she's not coming, I said, I love you. Daddy's waiting and hung up the phone because I knew I could maneuver in the name of Jesus. No. i hated hypocrites my whole life i was about to become one and in a very short period of time try to use jesus to get my way so my girlfriend comes home oh now you're going to be some holy rolling hypocrite and the last person that talked about god in her family was her grandmother right before she died she became a jehovah witness and cut the whole family off so that's her view of of god and it's a horrible view So man, she comes home, she goes, you don't fool me, you lying. I said, no, everything's going to change. And that first night, I put my daughter to bed, she's like, Daddy, I'm so glad you found God. I said, me too. This pastor's going to teach me about his God. So I put my daughter to bed, and I'm out on a cocaine binge in an hour and a half, ripping my family off again, draining our bank account, stealing stuff, pawning stuff, same stuff. I come back in the morning, my girlfriend's waiting for me on the couch with my daughter up again. For seven years, she kept my daughter on the couch every time I was out in the bench waiting for me to come home. Tragedy. Now it's in the name of Jesus. So I come home, you liar. I knew you're a liar. I knew it. I went and called that pastor, Dan. I said, hey, buddy. I said, your Jesus. Don't work, buddy. He said, what do you mean he doesn't work? I said, I did it again. I did it again. First day I did it again. I told you. He said, Todd, how do you feel? I said, I feel horrible. Don't you understand what I just said? He said, Todd, two days ago, you wouldn't even have cared. Right. Thank God there's a seed growing in your heart. Right. Oh, I, I got so mad. Like, <laughs> The only seed growing I know is weed because I grew <laughs> marijuana. I was so mad. Like, Ugh, make it grow faster through the phone, like all that. So the next day was band practice. We had band practice at my house. I was the singer, and we had this single wide trailer on a foundation in the middle of two acres of land. So the band was in my basement. They were all coming over. So I'm excited. I got to tell the guys about my new Jesus thing. So the guys come over. I say, guess what, guys? I gave my life to Jesus. They're like, shut up, dude. Don't even. Don't even talk like that. I'm, I'm serious, man. I gave my life to Jesus. They're like, shut up. And they handed me a big joint. For those of you that don't know what a joint is, <laughs> it's a marijuana cigarette. So they handed me a big joint. I took a hit. I said, Jesus loves you guys. (laughs) Same thing it was before and I have no conviction. I don't. I just have condemnation. I don't know what this, I don't know the difference because I'm getting high and it's making things chill. And all of a sudden these guys are like, yeah, right, Jesus. And then finally at the end of practice I go, dude, I'm telling you, Jesus is real. You got to come meet this pastor. They're like, don't say that name again. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm singing it on the microphone. So three of them got their stuff and packed up and left. And I've got one guy left. He's my best friend in the world. His name is Bobby. He's my guitar player. And literally, he's the guy that would stand with me through anything. He's that guy. He looks at me and he goes, bro, you got your path. I got mine. It's cool, dude. Hey, you found yours. I got mine. Come on, we can hang out. It's good. I love you. You're my only friend. And it's true because he was a hermit. He didn't really talk to many people. He was this stay-at-home dad that had received an inheritance when he was 18 years old. He had a three-and-a-half-year-old and a uh, three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, seven-and-a-half-year-old son. He's married. They got it made. They don't, owe any, they don't have any bills. And the little tiny bills they have, like they can pay it. His wife does a part-time job. She worked at some apple, apple cider place just, just to pay little bills because she wanted to do something. But they got it made. He doesn't need anything. No, I'm going to tell him about my Jesus, but my Jesus isn't real to him. And so week goes by, band practice again, again, again. I'm telling about Jesus, but this time I came downstairs after I just put my hand through the closet door, yelling and screaming at my girlfriend, raging at her, came down and said, hey, man, Jesus loves you. What a mess. So he goes, dude, look at your hand. What'd you do? Did you hit her? I said, no. I punched the door though, man, but I put a hole right through it, dude. And I'm telling him about Jesus in the same sentence. He's like, don't you realize that Jesus isn't real? Look at your life, bro. You're worse than you ever were. And now you're talking about that Jesus. You're just like all those Christians, man. You become a hypocrite. No, I'm not a hypocrite. Shut up, man. I'm not a hypocrite. Here, man, smoke this. So this is going on like month after month, and I'm doing the same thing. But I'm going to church on Sunday, and I got this thing figured out, see? Because the reality of this is I'm a singer in a band. So now I know how to sing, and I can learn these songs easy hallelujah people are like oh oh he's gifted hallelujah they're like we need to get him on hallelujah we need to get him on the worship team (laughs) hallelujah and everybody's like oh that guy but then they start to see i'm coming in hungover I'm coming in drunk. I'm coming in high. Hey, can I borrow some money, man? Really, I'm in a bind right now. They're seeing it. So now I'm living this life and become that very hypocrite in one day. And I'm month after month, this things happening. The congregation all knows I'm lying. And my girl ain't showing up because she knows, they all know that I'm scamming. And they all know that I'm lying. But Pastor Dan would love me and tell me who I was. He didn't say the reason why you are is because of the Masonic Homes. He just said, Todd, you need to have your mind renewed. You need to understand what God says about you. But I couldn't read. I never read a book before. So I'm like, I'd look in the Bible and be like, it's not happening. I just didn't get it. So I'd listen to someone else. They could only take me so far. And I would feel good when I left there, but I would do the same thing again. And I'm stumbling living this Romans 7 lifestyle. Even though I don't want to do it, I keep doing it. Because here, what I didn't see is I'm still living under the law because I hadn't seen what righteousness is. I don't understand what real grace is. Because real grace empowers real truth to happen. Yeah. But I'm still hooked on all that stuff because I'm not hooked on Jesus. Yeah. Right. See, all of you are created to be addicted to Jesus, right? Yeah. So I am, I am messed up. Five and a half months go by. I'm lost. I go out one night. I'm, like, in town. I don't have any money. I'm going to go out there and get some drugs, so I'm calling my dealer to try to get him. And, man, he doesn't answer the phone. So all of a sudden, I look behind me, and my girlfriend and my daughter are right behind me. Daddy, you promised you'd never do it again. This is five and a half months in. This is time after time with Bobby, telling him how real Jesus is, and, and him looking at my life, telling me again and again, your Jesus isn't real. Look at your life. Bro, look at your life. Your Jesus isn't real. Wouldn't your life be different? Look at my life, man. I don't need Jesus, and I'm a good person. I don't do those things. I don't steal. I'm there for my kids. Look at you. Jesus isn't real. You need to find the strength from within. All those talks. So that night, I went out and lost my daughter and my girlfriend. My, da- my daughter's screaming, Daddy, come home. I left him in the parking lot. I left him down the street. I picked up some kid down on a street called East Maple Street in York, Pennsylvania. That's where we lived. Picked him up, got him in my car. Asked him what he had on him. He showed me he had two eight balls of cocaine, crack cocaine on him. It's a quarter ounce of cocaine. I have a quarter ounce of crack in my hand, and I told him he had the right to remain silent. I read him his rights and told him that I was a police officer. I told him to get out of the car and put his hands on the hood. The kid's freaking out, punching the dashboard. I knew you were a cop. I knew it. And when he opens the door, I told him to shut up and shut his mouth and get out of the car. Actually said a lot of other words. He gets out of the car. He puts his other leg out. And when his leg was out, I hit the gas, he spins around, and he unloads 14 rounds of a nine millimeter right outside of my window. Right passenger side, right there, about from here to there, pastor. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice, when the rounds come out, I took those bullets for you, are you ready to live for me yet? Now, you weren't in the car, I was. You didn't see the flashes of light come through the vehicle, I did. You didn't hear the voice that was louder than a nine millimeter at point blank range. I did. And it scared me so bad that I'm flying out of town. And once I got out of town and realized I wasn't hit, I smoked every bit of that cocaine to try to get that voice to go away. And every time I took a hit off the trap pipe, that voice killed my buzz all night long. And I couldn't get high, which drove me crazy. I pulled into my driveway and I'm freaking out because I'm not high. I got to see my car. I looked at my car. I had no bullets in my car from 10 feet away. That's not possible. So all of a sudden, I'm freaking out. I go to the door. She's up with my daughter. She says, I hate you. Get out of my life. My daughter's screaming. Daddy, no. She's screaming. I said, I got to go. I am so scared because the voice won't go away. It's loud inside of my head. I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? I took them for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? So I ended up leaving. I went to Dan's house. And Dan and I decided that I was going to go to Teen Challenge. So a couple days later, I'm going to Teen Challenge. So the next day, I only had one more day until I had to leave. I called Bobby and I said, hey, bro. I said, man, last night I went out in town and man, I got, I ripped off this drug dealer. He goes, dude, you got to stop. You're going to get killed, man. I said, well, the guy unloaded a nine millimeter, man, till it was empty right at me, right outside my car. He goes, are you in the hospital? Are you okay? I said, no, that's just it. I heard this voice. He said, what do you mean you heard a voice? I said, I heard a voice say, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? He says, Todd, you're hearing voices. You need help. I said, no, you don't understand. None of the bullets hit my car. He said, well, the guy was like, he ba- was a bad shot. I said, he was right outside of my car. It's not a bad shot. It was really God. He goes, God doesn't exist, Todd. We've settled this. I said, no, he does. He saved my life. He goes, Todd, look at your life. If he was real, your life would be different. You're the only Christian that I know. And your life is worse now that you've brought this Jesus name into it than it was before. You need to drop this junk and go get help. I said, well, that's just it. I I made the decision to go away to rehab. He goes, good for you, dude. You need help. This is going to be the best decision you ever made. I said, well, it's a Christian rehab. He goes, that's the worst decision. What would you go learn about somebody that you know is not real anyway? Where is your God now? Where was he these last five and a half months? And he's reasoning with me. I said, Bobby, I'm telling you, look at your life. You're a good dad. And I did it without God. I don't need a God in my life. I can do this. You find the strength from within. I said, Bobby, I'm leaving, and this program isn't 28 days. It's a year. He said, what? He said, why would you throw us away? He said, you're my only friend in the whole world. You're the only one I talk to. Come on, it's me and you. I said, Bobby, I can't do this anymore. You're a good dad. You're a great husband. I'm a poor father. I'm not even. I said, I don't even know how to do this. He said, he said man, he goes, I can't believe you're going to throw your whole life away to learn about something that's not real. You're coming back learning nothing. I said, we'll see. I said, but I got to go. And I said, I'm not allowed to call you or talk to you when I'm up there. He said, this sounds like a prison, like a prison. Like, what are you talking about? I said, Bobby, i got to come out from the world, and i got to go in there, and I'm going to learn who God is. He saved my life, and i got to learn who he is. He said, man, I said, I said, Bobby, will you play music with me when I get home? He said, you're my only friend. Of course I will. Like, of course I will. Dude, you go and find out what you need to find out. I'll be waiting for you when you come home. So I was going up there. We couldn't get together before I left the Teen Challenge. So three days later, driving up the Teen Challenge. I left. I called Bobby before I left and told him how much I loved him and I would see him when I get home. left a message on his answering machine. My girlfriend is glad that I'm out of her life. My daughter is sad, but daddy ain't really a good dad at all. So I go to this teen challenge place. I get there. I, surrend- I had dreadlocks before I went in there. I shaved my head bald. I got pictures. It's true. I did. Shaved crew. I had military cut again, you know. I went in there. I'm like, I'm done. I'm finished. Like, God. I know you saved my life. I just need to know who you say I am, like Dan says. So I go in there, can't read, trying to read the Bible, going rushing roulette, trying to figure out where to go in here. My gosh. And if you don't read a regular book, the Bible's definitely funky, right? The great news is, is the Bible's not meant for your head. It's meant for your heart. Because your heart can take you places your brain can't fit. The problem is, is we're trying to headstrong this word, and we need a heartstrong this word. So nothing's making sense to me, but three days in, I get called into the office, and the guy's got a bad look on his face, and I've stolen so many drug dealers' money. We're only six miles from town, six and a half miles from town. So the pastor comes in and he goes, you need to talk to your pastor, Toddy. He he needs you to sit down. I go, what is happening right now? I get on the phone. I go, please tell me that no one hurt my girl. No one hurt my girls. Please tell me. He said, Todd, it's not your girl. It's Bobby. I said, what happened to Bobby. He said, your friend had a brain aneurysm. I said, what is that? He said, he had a blood vessel burst in his brain. He's brain dead, and the doctors don't expect him to live. I said, what? Not, not Bobby. He's my only friend. He's the only person that's stood by Everybody turned their back on me. Everybody, but Dan, everybody. I said, no. And I ran upstairs to the prayer room, and I'm screaming, no! Not Bobby! He's my only friend and I'm screaming at the air just like screaming and all of a sudden peace for the first time in my whole life Hits me. I'm on the ground kneeling. This peace hits me and this voice says you're not going anywhere And it hits me. It was God's peace for the first time in my life and I realized that was my point of surrender Even though I surrendered and went in there. I was gonna run out the front door and all of a sudden My flesh didn't have dominion, and I stayed. And man, I was in this thing. I was reading the Bible every day trying to figure it out. Like, what, 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 what? what? Nothing. Nothing Nothing's making sense. And then I get a revelation from God. Here's my first revelation. God forgave me, and he forgot what he forgave. And he'll never look at it again. First revelation ever. God said, I will never. It says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. It hit me. Righteousness hit me. Right, standing with God. Like, God sees me as if I never sinned. He sees me as if I never ate the tree. That's how he sees me. And like, I'm like, it's a whole new world. I'm freaking. <laughs> you don't understand. I'm like, snap, I'm freaking out every day. Oh my gosh. Gosh, do you understand? I'm not guilty. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're in teen shop. No, 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 I'm not guilty. Like, Jesus bore my sin. Well, well I know that. No, no, no. No, Listen. I'm not guilty. And they're freaking out on me, telling me, you need to slow down. Dude, you need to chill. This is a marathon, not a sprint. But I could never find that in my Bible. That's not in there. It's a race. It's neither a marathon or a sprint. Righteousness enables you to run this, this race with real grace. Grace enables you to walk out what truth calls you to. And truth calls me to be free. And so all of a sudden, I'm getting this. It's just a little revelation, but it's so big. And all of a sudden, the Bible goes, And opens to me. And now I'm reading and I'm getting it. I'm like, oh my God. Oh God. And it's fresh bread. And it's hitting my soul. And I'm only like, I mean, I'm only a month and a half old. I'm still. I have spiritual huggies on. (laughs) But I got this thing called joy. Why? Because I realized that I've been forgiven. Like God's not holding anything against me. So why would I hold stuff against me? That means, that doesn't mean the world's not going to hold stuff against you, because they will. But I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm freaking out, like going nuts in there. And I, and I can't talk to my girl. I don't know what's happening back home. My daughter, I've I seen her one time, but like it was before this revelation happened. And two weeks later, I have these three nights in a row where I have encounters with Jesus. And he told me, To go home on the third night of these dreams. Told me to go home and restore my friends and family. So I'm like, oh my gosh. I packed my stuff 10 months early. This is not looking good for the home team. Because like I'm supposed to be there for 12 months. I mean, this is radical. So I go downstairs and they're coming at me. You can't just leave. You can't just. I got to go. Jesus set me free. Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. I said, I get it. This is Jesus. No, you didn't see. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Okay, I just stopped talking. And they're just coming at me. They said, you need to call your pastor. You need to leave. Because you made the decision to go. A little leaven is the whole lump. You can't stay here now with this attitude. So I got to go. And I'm like, okay. So like Dan comes and gets me. He picks me up. He goes inside. They scream at Dan. I hear him raging. Dan's not going to raise his voice. So then all of a sudden everything gets quiet. And I didn't ask him what he said. He goes, come on, let's go. So I get in the car. He goes, I'm so proud of you. I went, amen. I said, dude, I met him. He goes, tell me about it. So we're talking about it, and I get him to take me to my house. I can't stay there, because I know who I am now. When I get there, my daughter comes running across the porch to tell me how much she loves me. Daddy, you're home. I have to tell her, Daddy's not home, baby, but Daddy's out. But Daddy's going to show you what it means to be a father. And I said to her, I said, I love you. She goes, Daddy, your eyes are different. See, the Bible says that the eyes are the lamp of the body. And if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. And my daughter, without knowing Jesus, saw it. And I was like, because that's the same thing I saw in Dan's eyes. And I'm like, man, Dan's there, and I'm holding my daughter, telling her I can't live there. Daddy, this is your home. She's clinging to me, you know. I'm thinking, this is going to take time. My daughter, it's going to take time, but my daughter's going to be okay. So her mama comes out of the house, and I said... I am so sorry. I jacked up everything. I totally twisted everything. I threatened to kill you. My daughter, like, she's like just looking at me with ear to ear grin. And I said, I'm so sorry. She goes, I know you are. When you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. (laughs) Oh no, this is nuts. So I'm like, oh my gosh, the first, my first conviction, first conviction of my brand new Christian life is I cannot live here. That's the last conviction. For people a lot of times. Because if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let me tell you something, man. That conviction was so strong in me. I looked at her and said, I can't live here, honey. I, I got covenant with God and I'm not breaking that. I can't do it. I just can't move back in. She goes, no, no, no. We need to be married. I said, are you saying let's get married? She goes, well, of course. I looked at Dan. I go, we need to plan this. What is happening? here I've been pouring in to your girls when you've been gone. Oh, my God. He stopped a sheriff's sale on my house. Like, like, like he's, been, he's been talking to my girl the whole time. Like, my girl surrendered to Jesus when I was gone. My daughter gave her life to Jesus when I was gone. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. I said, we need to plan this. Dan goes, you're not planning nothing. We'll do it on Sunday in between first and second service. We got this. <laughs> Little bit of window, we'll do it. So sure enough, we're going to get married. So first service, second service. It was crazy. Dan gets up. I sing the song. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth? You remember that? Would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? About then I started crying. I lost it. I did, I just couldn't finish the song. No because it was done. I was done. Okay, Dan said, that's good. All right, praise God. And he joins us in marriage. Her mom is in the wedding. Her mom is there. She can't believe her daughter's throwing her life away. Don't do it. She's in the wedding. She's in the church <laughs> screaming. Don't do it. He's not real. This isn't real. He lies. Stepdad, don't you marry him? He's an epimba Baba baga boonga in church service. I caused a lot of pain, man. So they're all trying to like get in the middle of it. Thank God he didn't say if anybody's here that objects. He didn't. He said, I now pronounce you man and wife. And we get married right here in first and second service. I'm walking out trying to introduce people to my new wife. And they're like, get away from me because they know my game. And I quit Teen Challenge 10 months early. Like, you just, it's a lot of hurt people because I lived as a hypocrite trying to scam for money and all that. And I'm so thankful, man. And, and we go home that day and every, we didn't have a honeymoon because we live a honeymoon. Like, I don't know. Like, people go in so much debt for their weddings and all of a sudden their honeymoon. And my gosh, we got like $25,000 to pay back in debt for this thing. And man, it's about covenant. I mean, I love the big weddings, but make it more about the covenant than your big wedding. Make it a big covenant. Like that's... So we end up getting married, and the next day, the Holy Spirit says to me, go and visit Bobby. So Bobby's in a coma still, he's still alive. So I went up to this convalescent home. My best friend, the, the guitar player that I lived hypocrisy, I played the harlot in front of. When I say playing the harlot, that means that I'm supposed to be married to Jesus, but I'm sleeping with another. Playing a harlot means living and, and, and the world is more important than Jesus is when he's supposed to be your only lover. So I'm living that life and in front of him and now I know I was wrong. So I go up to see Bobby and he's in this convalescent home and when I get to this place, I see him in this bed with this life support hooked up with his brain, his skull cut away up here and his brain's bulging out. It's covered with gauze, you know, and his eyes are all glossed and just dead stare, man, comatose. And his, his wife is in there, and I said, hey, Betty. I said, I'm so sorry. She goes, why are you sorry? You didn't do this. I said, because I didn't show him Jesus. She goes, Jesus? And she's an atheist. And I'm going to bring Jesus into the equation. And she starts screaming, there is no Jesus. You're going to tell me this. a look at my husband. Ugh, shut up. She starts raging at me. She goes in the corner and holds her ears. And I sat there with Bobby. I brought my daughter, Destiny, with me into this thing to see Bobby. Because that was my best friend, and she knew it. And I sat there and looked in Bobby's eyes and said, bro, I'm, I'm sorry. And for 30 seconds, I had this condemnation. And it was actually, it was sin consciousness in there. Sin consciousness and sun consciousness are completely different. Sin consciousness means I have a guilty conscience because I wished I could go back and change it. And I saw all this, Jesus loves you, bro. I saw all the times of partying, drinking, telling about Jesus, punching the hole. In